Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined by Mr. Doug Battle. We are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, a lot of interesting stuff happening in the world of sports, but I, at least from my perspective, not a lot of, there's not one obvious story, a lot of interesting stuff happening. There was a championship over the weekend. Uh, the WNBA championship was determined. The Chicago Sky beat the Phoenix professional women's basketball. <laughs> Which apparently you don't even know the name of, nor do I. I didn't know at some point. But. <laughs> um, yeah, the a huge story. All I saw was that Candace Parker played, and I forgot that she was still playing basketball. I don't know. I think she became a mother at some point. That's an interesting part of the WNBA is when they become mothers and they leave mm-hmm. the league for a little bit. Um, but I remember she married was it Sheldon Williams from duke he was a stud and where are we going with this <laughs> i'm saying a little prediction here their child that they had at some point is going to be a super basketball player because that dude was like all acc she was dunking in college i mean like that is perfect <laughs> genetics for a future basketball player so be on the lookout everyone's always talking about Bronny jr or whatever i'm looking for candace parker's child to to be making moves and i don't know if it's boy or girl but if it's a girl it's gonna be the best wnba player ever the child already has three offers (laughs) start to build that relationship build it build it up um but yeah uh the most interesting story is coach o to me most interesting to me that's subjective well let's let's get there i mean just a a couple of comments about the wnba and uh, i think it's the i I think it's the phoenix mercury i did not look that up so i may have forgot it and then gotten it wrong uh, the Mercury features Brittany Griner, who I think is is always going to be an interesting WNBA player. She was the the woman that got so much attention a few years ago. I think she may have dunked in a game as mm-hmm. well. Uh, really portrayed as a beast, yes. as something like six foot six foot six or six foot seven. She was one of those where uh, people were saying in college, "Oh, she could play in the NBA," which we don't have to get into that. But she was one of those. She was one of those. She's like so tall, right. and, or listed at so tall. Let's say that much. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that's interesting to me about the WNBA is that that is the one sport whose ratings have gone up post-pandemic. So I think they are up about 20% from 2019 even. So, you know, almost all of sports has suffered a little bit or remained flat. But the W and I don't have an answer to this. So, you know, maybe this is the wrong topic for the professor to bring up. I don't have an explanation for it, but it is a little bit of an outlier in that, like I said, it's relatively robust growth. They, they perform pretty strong in their version. I think they call it the wobble um, and have, you know, continued to set new standards coming out of it. Now that, that being said, it is, lightly watched i think i saw something that they're talking about about three hundred thousand viewers for that championship game but it is you know the WNBA has now been around for 25 years doug oh that is crazy i will say i I saw the highlights from that just on espn and it looked like an nba finals game as far as when it ended and candace parker's like running down the court and like people were she was crying and stuff like this really meant something to a lot of people uh, I don't know that the WNBA has meant something to a lot of people for very long. So it might be around for 25 years, but I definitely think it, it takes time to build that fan passion. But we've seen that a little bit. And as far as why it has grown, my biggest guess is just like, I, I think that there's there's kind of a, we've seen it in soccer, like an equality movement where I think women are becoming more supportive of women's sports. And that's my best guess. I don't know, though. haven't researched um, the WNBA's growth by any means. But I know that they're like on the cover of NBA 2K now. So I think it, it's become more of a priority of the NBA uh, to, to push that league and to promote women in basketball. I know Kobe Bryant was a huge advocate for that. And more and more players are speaking up on it. So I think the NBA plays a big part in it as well. Well... I I think that's all fair. The WNBA has received a lot of marketing support over the years. 
mean, it's, it's clearly before your time, but I remember when that league was just starting. I think you're 25, yeah. right? And when that league was just starting out, there was Lisa Leslie for, I think, the Los Angeles Sparks and Rebecca Lobo for the New York Liberty that were really trotted out and almost made household names mm-hmm. to, to launch the league. So it's, it's an interesting story. I mean, you bring up, obviously, what's sort of the, the good point about this of how long does it take to build a league? At least 25 years. Um, it, it's interesting that they've started to get a little bit of traction. I, I, I don't have too much to say or too much speculation. It's more of one of these kind of interesting data points that will we'll just collect some data points and eventually tell a story. Now, the WNBA finishes... And we immediately move on to one of your favorite yeah, sports right. properties. And that's the, the NBA season kicks off or kicks off, tips off tomorrow evening with uh, we, we tape on Monday release on Tuesday uh, featuring the, I believe it's the Milwaukee Bucks and the new, the, sorry, the Brooklyn <laughs> New Jersey Nets. Um, I pulled for them back in the day, but they no longer exist. Yeah. Milwaukee and Brooklyn tomorrow. At 7.30 Eastern time on TNT, crazy to me. Like, this really snuck up on us. I haven't heard a ton of chatter about the NBA, I think because of the timing of it. I think last year the season started late, and so it was uh, maybe more of a dominant storyline. But right now, starting the season at the height of football season, middle of October baseball, um, which is increasingly a, a huge story I, i'm hearing more and more about we've kind of tracked that over the weeks and and the lack of attention being given to major league baseball uh it's seeing more and more right now so it's kind of a saturated sports market at the moment hockey starting up as well so we're, we're coming to that beautiful time of year when like everything's in season like you like baseball we well best time of year for baseball you like college football you like the nfl all that's going on and then NBA's tipping off. To me, NBA is it's all preseason to me until the playoffs. I think a lot of fans view it that way. But nevertheless, I mean, you, you can watch Giannis go against Kevin Durant and probably not Kyrie Irving because of COVID tomorrow. <laughs> so <laughs> Well, Doug, let me let me uh let me read off the I, I pulled the Vegas odds this morning. Uh and you tell me what you you know how much this makes sense to you. You know, when you're saying not a lot of chatter about the NBA, maybe there's a reason for that because the the favorite going into the season is the Brooklyn Nets. Number two, you want to take a you want to take a guess? Milwaukee. It's the Los Angeles Lakers. Wow. Followed by the Golden State Warriors, Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee's Suns, that Utah far back. Jazz, Los Angeles Clippers, Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, these were almost the odds going into last season. Yeah, I think so. The Lakers will be, they're going to, I think they're going to be like the villains for a lot of people because they're so stacked. They're kind of like the old Miami Heat. You got LeBron, Russell Westbrook. That's two guys that a lot of people just don't like. Anthony. Well, what do you, let me pause you there. What do you think about that pairing? Do you think that's going to, you watch more, you watch more basketball than I do. Do you think that nucleus is going to, click really come together uh, that's what i'm curious to see because you throw on carmelo anthony he's one that kind of is a been perceived as a chemistry destroyer over the years it's so much talent i think it's an undeniable amount of talent where they're gonna have crazy highlights and they're gonna they're gonna run it up on teams and be competitive just purely from sheer talent but with the lakers you, you we've seen this in the past where they stack teams with some older veteran players i remember when it was Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Dwight Howard, etc. And a lot of people picked them to win the finals. And they were horrible. They were not good. Um, in, in years back, uh, they added Gary Payton and, and some of those guys to the Shaq-Kobe team. So we've seen the Lakers do this over the years. It's just kind of what they do. Um, the age, I think the biggest issue for them is talent. I mean, not talent. <laughs> Definitely not an issue. The biggest issue is injuries, um, age and injuries. They've got an old core, and it's made up mostly of guys that have significant injury histories. And so, you know, if they can stay healthy, I think they can beat anybody, uh, even though it won't be my favorite basketball. I prefer teams like the Bucks that move the ball well and are, are built from the ground up. Uh, the Lakers feel kind of thrown together, super team, 
whatever. But nevertheless, if they're healthy, I think they can play against anyone. I just don't expect them to be healthy for a whole season. I, I'm kind of bearish on the Lakers uh, for that reason. That's that's fair. A lot of 35 and up yeah. guys. And you know when athletic performance falls, it tends to fall off a cliff. Looking at this list of the the favorites to the underdogs in the NBA, one of the things I can't help but notice is the, where the Clippers rank on this list. And, you know, these are preseason expectations and they may overperform. Where the Clippers are on this list, uh, where the 76ers are on this list, uh, the Clippers are sort of the number seven betting pick. The, the 76ers are number eight. The Celtics are number 13. Mm. Have a bunch of teams missed their window here? Ooh, Celtics, that's got to that's gotta hurt a little bit. Years back, they had finessed the Nets out of every draft pick for several years, <laughs> and they ended up all being high draft picks, and their fans wanted to trade the picks for this superstar and that superstar. They ended up saving the picks, and they got Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown uh, at a bargain for how good they are uh, being on rookie contracts at the time. And... It felt like, you know, they're going to build a dynasty. Danny Ainge has got something going on. Now they're not perceived as a top 10 team in the league, and, and they're kind of at the peak of what those assets could bring them. I think Brad Stevens, as the uh, essentially general manager, I think he's he has a different title, but um, he's got his work cut out for him to, to make that team into a championship team. Um, 76ers, another one. Lost on a buzzer beater. To in a game seven took a Kawhi Leonard Raptors team that would go on to win the finals, and have that's the closest they've come. Period. So yeah, it feels like their window has passed, but they they have such great pieces. Obviously, Joel Embiid, and I mentioned Tatum and Brown. Um, what was the other team you mentioned? The Clippers. The Clippers. Yeah, I remember that off season yeah. where it, it was like Kawhi Leonard was the real holy grail of the NBA. Everybody wanted him, and it felt like whoever gets him, he's either going to be paired with LeBron or Paul George or one of the, you know, he's going to be paired with somebody, and the any of those duos is going to be championship bound. Well, the Lakers lost out on him to the Clippers, and the Clippers, it feels like their window is, yeah, they haven't gotten it done. They haven't really mm-hmm. gotten close. I think their best odds were in the bubble two years ago, um, and of course the Lakers won that year. They won the finals, so yeah, those are all teams that are in a tight spot. Um, obviously, the Celtics fandom is so passionate. I think the Sixers fandom is pretty passionate as well. Those are two iconic basketball franchises where they always feel like they're one player away, and, and they still feel that way. So it's like, we'll see what happens, but it's hard to win a championship on a midseason trade or, or things of that nature. Usually, it's it's kind of done in the offseason um, for the championship teams. So the, those teams do seem to have missed their window. I think the most interesting story that doesn't get talked about enough in basketball is if you go back to those Nets Celtics trades year back years back when Danny Ainge seemingly fleeced the Nets um, for an aging Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, etc. I don't remember if Jason Terry was involved in that trade or not, but the Nets were the big losers, and yet they're competing for championships, or they're they're a true top team in the NBA sooner than the Celtics became it's like is it better to just always go for the big stars and go all or nothing over and over and over again like the Nets have until something sticks or to build through draft picks and the draft I think that's that's a story that shows how the NBA has changed in these kind of super team eras well my takeaway from looking at all this is you know I assume there's a healthy amount of money flowing into you know betting on these Mm -hmm. kind of things but I have no idea why anyone's putting any dollars on any of this stuff. Uh, you know, for the Brooklyn Nets to be the favorite. Okay. And, and like I, I've been scouring the internet a little bit today, and as far as I can tell, there's no movement from Kyrie Irving also, whatsoever. His, it's not like he's a trade asset at this point. I don't know that yeah. what you could get in return for a guy that can't play his home games. Well, he can't play some of the road right. games either, right? I mean, it's... Uh, it's and so... It's interesting that they are the betting favorite and, and a relatively heavy favorite. And number two is like the definition of the collection of aging stars put together for a final run or two. 
maybe it'll play out. It, it, it almost seems like it's it's sort of wishful thinking because boy, that would be a great series. It would be, it? And, and the Brooklyn Nets versus the you know Durant versus LeBron, LeBron across you know the the coastal series. Yeah. It's uh, East Coast, it's something West the Coast. NBA desperately wants. Yeah, I think that would be a great thing for the NBA. Um, it's just the odds of it happening with the injury situations and it doesn't seem like the NBA is is budging on COVID either when it comes to Kyrie. So that one's just at a standstill. It's like he's knowing him, uh, he's not gonna get vaccinated. You know, he's not gonna budge. He's not gonna be told what to do and, and take an L on that. I don't think I, I don't think he yeah. is. And I and I don't think a lot of people understand Kyrie. And I don't Doug, you've been working with me for a long time now, I may share some similar <laughs> traits as Kyrie. Flat Earth? <laughs> <laughs> Issues with authority, perhaps. If I'm Kyrie, and I'm looking at all this, first off, Kyrie's got enough money. He probably doesn't need to play play again. But this is a very interesting time. You know, just beyond the world of sports, right, this is where all the vaccine mandates are starting to to bite, right? I think they're talking about starting to fire cops in Chicago, in Seattle, while at the same time, we've got Dr. Anthony Fauci talking about how he mis- misjudged the super spreader nature of 90,000 people in stadiums yeah. in the South. And so if Kyrie is looking at the data and sort of watching to see this play out, I have no, I, I could definitely imagine, even if he wants to play this year, to just saying, you know, I'll wait. Maybe I'll start playing midway through the season. But I don't see any reason why Kyrie would budge, given the big picture of all this and the fact that the Nets are the Nets are the favorite to win the NBA. I don't know if that betting line has sort of priced in Kyrie's likely absence. I find it a little bit hard to believe that it's already priced into that. Otherwise, I suppose the Nets would be the prohibitive mm-hmm. favorites. So I, I suspect the Kyrie story is not something that's going to be determined by week one. It's something that's going to play out for a couple of months here. Yeah, I wouldn't honestly be shocked if Kyrie just retires at some point and later comes back out of retirement like next year or something, whenever all this settles down. But I would not be shocked. I think I've heard that you know rumored as a, I guess, negotiating tactic and all of this. But the Nets really probably feel like they should have traded him last year at some point. I remember that being discussed and his fit with Durant and Harden because there was a, a time when Kyrie was out last year and the Nets were thriving without him. Uh, it felt like, man, what if they moved him and, and added some depth for their bench or, or a different piece in play? Uh, maybe the Nets would even be better without him if they were to make some kind of trade. But now they're uh, the big loser to me is the Nets because you have a salary cap. So much of it is is allotted toward this player who won't play. Um, even when he's even before all this, there was always a reason for him not to play, protesting something or getting hurt or whatever. He 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 hasn't played as much as he's expected to play, and that's I mean that's like a third of their salary cap right there. <laughs> so um, the Brooklyn Nets, nevertheless, I think they probably have like a top five odds without Kyrie this year that that's kind of the interesting thing to me I think that's probably true just looking at the looking at the teams that are up there they might be in they're probably still in the there's probably still in the very top yeah. group but are they the are they the relatively big favorite okay Doug I'm going to ask you sort of more of a fan mm-hmm. kind of fan opinion question so going into the, you know last year's playoffs were we talked a lot about about almost coming-of-age narratives, kind of the young gunslingers yep. moving up, and you had, uh, you had Devin Booker, Luka. you had uh, Luka mm-hmm. Doncic, you had Trey Young. So based on all of that, and what, if anything, those clubs did, who's the next star? I mean, who's the ne- who, is, who is the heir apparent going into I this? I wanted to see Devin Booker take the reins in the finals and be that guy, and, and it really seemed like he faded back in that series. Um, Trey Young absolutely took the NBA by storm in the playoffs last year. He was, and he's such a flashy player. I, I, you know, as good as he is and as good as that young, young Hawks team is, I think they're going to be very much in the mix this year. 
Um, I, I kind of think that he's the guy because not so much because he's a better player than Luka Doncic, because I don't believe that to be the case, but because of how he's positioned, he's on a team. It's kind of viewed as the underdogs, but if you look at him, uh, it's hard not to pick him against a lot of teams. Uh, and they're very competitive, and, and they're in an Atlanta market that is really starting to embrace the Hawks, um, this kind of rebranded version of the Hawks. And so I think he's best positioned for that of those players. Obviously, Jason Tatum's another guy in Boston um, who's really come into his own in recent years. It's just Boston's kind of stuck in that spot where they feel they feel stuck. Uh, Atlanta feels like they're on the way up. Dallas with Luka. Luka just carries that team. Uh, I went to a game last year, and he's phenomenal to watch. He's one of the most interesting basketball players I've ever seen because he's kind of slow. Like he, he's, he's really not the better athlete than a lot of guys, but he's such a crafty basketball player, and he's such a wizard out there that he can toy around with guys that are way more athletic than him every single night. Uh, when I watched him, it was Kawhi Leonard and Paul George trying to defend him, and neither one knew what to do with him. And he looked like the slowest guy on the court. So he's he's not as flashy, uh, but he puts up crazy numbers, and and he's clutch, and he carries his team. But that team, like they're a fringe playoff team every year, and until they add another piece, they I mean he's got to be paired with somebody. I think they thought Przingis would be the big star to pair him with, and. Uh, post ACL, he just has not been the superstar that he looked to be prior to that injury. And so Luca's in a position where, you know, I think if you put Luke on Atlanta, I'd be saying Luca easy. And Luca's on the cover of 2K this year, by the way. So, I mean, he's a, he's that guy. But nevertheless, as far as who I think has the biggest opportunity to emerge right now, Trey Young and those Hawks, uh, they, they've, they're going to be in the mix in the playoffs, I think. And I think that's what it's all about in the NBA. You know, I, 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 the memory had faded until we started talking about it, and it's going back to that Knicks series and some of the chants. You know, the the Trey, what was it? Trey, Trey is balding, balding or something. Trey is balding. You know, and he he played that perfectly, right? He's got that. There's something fun about him, right? There's something fun about him on the mm-hmm. on the court in terms of even how he interacts with the. The fans, which I think is a, a major plus. Now, should he shave his head? I don't know that he's got the look for shaving his head, but <laughs> I, I don't. You know, it's, he might want to do something about that. <laughs> well, it, it might. You know, part of me was was thinking the same thing. I've always felt like God, he'd be so much cooler if his hair was. If, you know, if he had cornrows or something. Like if he just did something different. <laughs> but on the flip side of that, you you think about Anthony Davis, uh, the brow, as he is called. He was kind of in college. People thought he was this ugly guy, you know, because he had a unibrow and it was it was a weird thing. But he embraced it and kind of built his brand around it. And you can tell he gets eyebrow jobs now because they're so like the lines on them are so distinct and stuff. But he's he's really um, built a brand around that, just like the beard for James Harden. And so it's like I don't know, maybe the uniqueness of of Trey Young's look and the fact that it it gives opponents something to really hate on and then gives him some fuel to to respond to um maybe it's a good thing for him for for trey young and his brand but i think he's best positioned this year i think devin booker is the other one just because the the phoenix suns are a very good basketball team and competitive team and like i said last year i really wanted to see him take over i know a lot of people were starting to compare him to kobe bryant and stuff earlier in the playoffs um obviously not that caliber of player uh relative to this point in kobe's career but nevertheless, he's one where he'll be positioned to take over, to be the guy for the Phoenix Suns, whereas last year it felt like Aiton and Chris Paul took a lot of that um, in, in the biggest moments. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit silly, but in all seriousness, the the Trey Young situation and those chants out of New York and maybe a crazy hairline I don't think we should actually underestimate how relevant that might be to stardom and towards building yeah. a brand. Because you could imagine Trey Trey Young, and it's a little bit hard for me to say this because there's something very likable about him. But you could almost imagine him becoming sort of an NBA villain mm-hmm. that every opposing Thanks. fan base sort of loves yeah. to hate because he's sticking the dagger in, and they've got such a go-to cheer that it may well be one of these kind of strange circumstances 
where the the stars align and he becomes he becomes the poster child for the NBA, whether or not he's out playing some of these other, you know, 25, 26 yeah, year olds. But getting back, you know, comparing that to Devin Booker, Devin Booker's a guy that scored, I believe he scored 70 points in a game like yeah. two years ago as a very young player in the league. Plays on last year the second best team in the NBA at the end of the season. Um, but for whatever reason, he's never been like from a marketing standpoint, he's never been like the face of anything. Like he, he's never felt like distinct in that way where Trey young has a very distinct thing as does the brow who I mentioned or James Harden or, or all these guys, you know, Kevin Durant, Durantula. Um, I think playing in the West coast or in the Western, in the, you know, the West time zones tends to be a huge disadvantage unless you're in places like LA or, or San right. Francisco, right? It's like they almost, they almost tend to forget about well, especially some of these Phoenix, guys, whether uh, you they're, know, who has great well, fans, by the way. But gonna, it's just not a nationally. Yeah. But f- Phoenix, mm-hmm. Denver, Salt oh, Lake City, right? It, it, <laughs> he's he's one yeah. of those guys that it's like maybe he would be the face of the NBA if his name were something else, and he played in, for Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely, it's almost like there's a little bit of a matching between the, the player and the market and how much, and, and look, this is definitely true. I mean, you, you think about how sports media works and who's going to get the, the attention. I mean, you know, it, it's built around, like if LeBron goes to Salt Lake City, it doesn't matter. He's still the focal point for the league. But in general, you know, playing in New York, playing in Chicago, playing in LA, it's, it's going to make, it's going to make a yeah, bit of a difference. And- Getting back to those those young stars, it's like I think Jason Tatum's the best position as far as being in Boston, uh, playing for an iconic franchise. But given the the position of the Celtics uh, relative to the Hawks, you know Atlanta, it's like it's thought of as the small market in in the NBA terms because it's not Chicago, it's not Los Angeles, it's not New York. But Atlanta's not exactly a small market for being technical, and and it's also a growing fan base it's it's very much on the rise and so i think trey young being the face of that to me just like i said gives gives him the leg up um on, on being that next guy well it's interesting i mean a lot of these markets are actually very similar in size right. atlanta is pretty close to actually the boston yeah. market very different history and it's it's similar in size to to phoenix and dallas they're these sort of five six six and a half million people metro metro areas that I think were historically B-level mm-hmm. markets, right? That this is where the growth has been and the media attention hasn't shifted to to, to appreciate how big mm-hmm. these cities are. That Atlanta and Atlanta and Dallas are the equivalent to uh you know Philadelphia and Boston, but that's not where the yeah, tradition is. Hey, lies. let's go back um to to the next next generation of players. We've been talking about this kind of these guys that are coming in their prime. I think that next gen with uh, Anthony Edwards and Leangelo Ball, those are guys who maybe aren't in the best markets, but I also think they're very well positioned to to make big jumps this year, become all stars. Um, it's rumored that An- I mean Anthony Edwards says that he grew two inches in the off season. He's now six foot six, um, which is pretty crazy. But it shows how young these guys are. I mean, it's a I don't know nineteen twenty year old kid out there. Um, those two. I mean, they they make highlight real plays every time you watch them, and I also think both of them have a shot at, at being that next guy. I just think that playing in Minnesota and playing in Charlotte uh, doesn't best position you for for taking over the NBA. You know, that's actually very funny. I mean, you think about just the you know the sports analytics person. I mean, immediately went to the question of like when you start to have eighteen and nineteen year olds in the league. You know, it's always been like this joke about open growth plates, but that's a legitimate issue because if he did, in fact, grow two inches, that's uh, that's that's a pretty significant change in uh, in the physical nature of the player from what do you say, six, six four, four to, to six, six six. I I personally think that yeah. Anthony Edwards is the best prospect of any of these young guys in the NBA as far as like having the potential to be this mega star. He's got a, a phenomenal personality. He's like the Marshawn Lynch of NBA basketball, and then it's just highlight real plays every night. The question with him, and going back, this was the question in the draft, was like, does this guy have a hard work ethic, or is he just goofing around all the time? It's like he's almost got a Shaq reputation, or Dwight Howard even, 
of being this fun guy. <laughs> and and yet he, he performs well at a high level and I think he is competitive. So he's one I'm keeping an eye on. Um obviously I'm a Georgia guy, but it's not really as much because of that as you know, he he's just truly a six foot six guy that got hops like Vince Carter and can shoot like Kevin Durant, you know, on any given night. Um there aren't many prospects like that when you talk about these, even when we're talking about Devin Booker and Trey Young and these guys, I don't know if any of them have the raw ability or raw potential that, that a guy like Anthony Edwards has. So we'll see. Okay. Any last thoughts about the NBA? Are you ready to move Uh, on some interesting, to me, maybe not, maybe not incredibly important stories, but some interesting stories from the world of college football. My last, my Um, last thought here is on the Milwaukee Bucks. I can almost like, assure you that if you took the same roster and coaching staff and championship pedigree now and put them in Los Angeles, they would be the odds on favorites to, to win the NBA finals. Again, people would be, you know, they, people would be saying they're going to repeat. You got Giannis, who's a, a two time MVP, uh finals MVP as well. And a, a returning cast of a, a team that dominated the NBA finals last year, dominating the entire NBA playoffs. Um, and has honestly been dominant for five-ish years. They just haven't put it all together until last year. I feel like they're forgotten because they're Milwaukee. You know, their jerseys are kind of bland. It's a, not a big market. They have one superstar, and that's it. They're built from the ground up. It's it's not all these different brands colliding. It's just for whatever reason, there's this bias against the small market team doing anything of significance, Probably especially a- two times in a row. But that's probably a good word for it, right? And there's a little bit of discount that discounting that happens with their championship last year that you know, that the the Nets were not at right. full strength and the Lakers were not at full strength. But do we expect and, either of those teams to be at full strength? Yeah. No, I'm just saying it's like I think it's the sort of the stories yeah. that people people tell themselves, right? So the, you know, Milwaukee had struggled struggled to get over the hump and then they got over the hump, but you could almost tell this you know, tell this tale that, well, but there were injuries. It took a game seven overtime with Durant's toe being on the line hardly for them to, to even make it to the finals. Yeah. Okay, Doug. So we continue to enjoy the college football season, strange season. I I made a joke to someone. It's like, maybe the AP won't have a number two team (laughs) this year, this week after, you know, after Iowa, lost pretty badly to Purdue at home that, you know, is it going to be, I suppose it's going to be Georgia one. Maybe it already is Georgia one and Cincinnati two, two, baby. But but what a crazy, what a crazy top of the thing. I keep coming back to the fact that you guys have a, that you guys, but Georgia has a walk on quarterback and does seem to absolutely be the the class of college (laughs) football. Now, that being said, Alabama can play one bad bad game and they can be right back up. They're number four, you know, number four. They lost to an unranked opponent last week and they're number four in the country. But I mean, if you look at it, I I would say if I were a Michigan fan, I'd be kind of mad. If I were a Michigan state fan, Oklahoma state, any of these teams that are undefeated. Um, but other than that, I mean, Oklahoma number three, seven and oh, they've hardly they're, I mean, they could be 0-7. If, if, I guess they could be 1-6 very easily. And Bama, Ohio State hasn't looked good to me. I See, the, the interesting story to me that no one's talking about is like Michigan and Michigan State both being undefeated and having the opportunity to be that Big Ten team that makes it in, overthrow Ohio State finally. I don't, I don't know why it's not being talked about. Michigan's such a sleeping giant in football, and they're undefeated halfway through the season. Right. I'm, I'm like pulling up the schedule. I want to see who Michigan is actually played not, this not year anybody too good if they're ranked six okay so looks like northern illinois wisconsin who has faded quite a bit northwestern uh, nebraska rutgers so it's been a very light schedule for michigan so far. right uh, but yeah you know when if when you have the pedigree when you're a blue blood like michigan and you're undefeated at this point in the season you almost automatically expect some. Well, especially back, after right? so you many years of not being good. I mean, I yeah. remember Georgia's second year under Kirby Smart, and granted, we had played, I don't know, Notre Dame, who wasn't even that good, uh, but they're just a big brand football team, and people started to respect Georgia around this time of year where it was like, well, we're undefeated. We just got to win six more, and we'll, we'll be in the playoff. 
Um, Michigan's in that position right now, and I don't feel like anyone's talking about it. So, there, I mean, five and six is Ohio State, Michigan, and Ohio State's one loss, Michigan's not. Right. But, you know, it's one of those things where the road to the Big Ten championship game goes through. I don't, maybe, maybe the game is at Ohio State this year. I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that Michigan has, you know, as we talked about some of the scenarios with Georgia and Alabama, Michigan has to beat Ohio State and then win a, um, and then, you know, go into the Big Ten championship game to have a shot at this. And Ohio State has exactly the same path despite having that loss. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this. Cincinnati. If Cincinnati had lost to unranked Texas A&M in the fashion that Alabama did, is, Cincinnati, is Cincinnati number four in the country right now? No. They are, and I don't think they have any prospects to get into the top four. Mm-hmm. For the play. They're eliminated. Fifth at, they're, they, they then cap out at yeah. five, I think. Um. It's interesting with Alabama to me because part of me is like, oh, that's bias. The other part of me is like, as a Georgia fan, the team that I'm most concerned about is Alabama. That's the team we don't want in. It was the same case in 2017. We were like, this isn't fair. They shouldn't be in. You know, they haven't earned it. But all all knowing, they probably have the best chance of beating us of anyone. Um, And they did in 2017. And so it's like, you know, I think there is an eye test aspect and there is a, a, there's also a history aspect. People know not to count Bama out at this point because they've seen it before. Right. And I got to tell you, I look forward to one of my favorite parts of the football season. Like, like I, I enjoy the games, but you know, I also enjoy the stuff on the periphery. And I pulled you back from it a couple of weeks ago, but this is setting up to be one of the great end of the seasons in the SEC where there is endless debates about two SEC teams into the, in the college football playoff, um, how whoever it is, Ohio State or Oklahoma, doesn't deserve to be there, or maybe Cincinnati doesn't deserve Cincinnati to be here. But, but what people don't get, and, and you know, people might disagree with me, but I've lived in Big Ten territory and I've lived in SEC country. The passion here is just at a different level. And the... The scenarios that people down here will draw will be so much fun to watch, and it's um, it's a beautiful. It's almost like that Alabama loss makes it just a beautiful situation. Now, if they were both coming in, Georgia and Alabama coming in undefeated, going into that SEC championship game, then it's almost even better because then the fans down here could not believe the idea that they wouldn't both be going. I personally think that if Alabama wins, as long uh, you know, I, I think they both make it this year um so we'll see what happens i almost expect that going back to what i was saying about you know if cincinnati had the same resume as alabama would they be in the top four think about kentucky this is a team that was undefeated until this week their one loss is to the number one team in the country um not an unranked opponent the number one team in the country and they dropped to 15 in in, in Athens, Athens with college game right? day, I mean that's pretty much impossible for anyone to win in that in that setting this year. Drop to number fifteen. They're ranked behind Coastal Carolina. Same same yeah, record I mean, the, as Alabama. Uh, quality loss. You know a more a, a better opponent that lost to, and um and just as tough of an environment. And they're they're back to number fifteen. They're they're like pretty much uh, eliminated. You might say this is sort of a Bayesian statistics approach to to these things where people don't people don't forget mm-hmm. the past, right? People look at people look at the jerseys and then make the judgment about the team. And, you know, and, and and we're seeing this all over, right? The the case of Alabama being in the top four, um, Michigan being ranked behind yeah. Ohio State. Yeah, that's that's two perfect examples. Uh, oh, oh. Yeah, um, Kentucky dropping precipitously when they when they suffer wearing the shiniest helmets I've Ever. seen on the field yeah, this season. I think they're a little gimmicky. They're not my favorite. I'll also add to that same thing, and this is kind of the the Bama effect. Mississippi or Ole Miss rather, Ole Miss gets annihilated by Alabama, who later loses Texas A and M. Ole Miss drops to twelve. Um, like I said, Kentucky loses to the in similar fashion to the number one team in the country, they're, they're down to 15. So the Alabama loss was a more quality loss, I think, for Ole Miss in the eyes of, of 
the pollsters here than uh, the Kentucky loss to the number one team in the country. Other fun story from SEC country was Ed Orgeron beats Florida and gets fired. Florida gets fired. Gotta love it. SEC football. I remember Mark Richt getting fired the day after beating Georgia Tech and leading his team to 40 wins in four seasons. Um, That's SEC football. I've got to say with Coach O, I know that a a lot's kind of coming up about off-the-field stuff. I said it last year. I don't think I said it on air, but I I did say it to the people I was talking to um, about LSU. There was a lot coming up about Darius Geis and um, an alleged sexual assault case that the coaches and and administrators at LSU allegedly worked to cover up. Um, There was a pretty... um, pretty tough quote from Ed O that that would cost you your career and just about any other job and what I was saying at the time was nothing happens until they start losing football games and then all of this gets brought to light then the boosters and the AD and everybody starts saying let's take a look into this let's see what you know ethically how if we could do a better job if if these coaches aren't um, getting it done that's the fireable offense that's how they get out of paying the buyout and so for Coach O to have gotten away with, with some of this stuff in the past, and then now that his team um, is clearly not on the right track, although they did beat Florida, and I, I took great pleasure in that uh, as a Georgia guy. But, um, you know, it, it's classic college football. Well, I mean, in some ways, if one guy should be coaching in the SEC, it's, it's Coach <laughs> O, right? I mean, it's... I guess you'd say like Lane Kiffin belongs in the SEC yeah. too. It's like the, these guys seem like they're almost they're almost throwbacks to you know the Spurrier era. I don't really want to see much you know personalities much in the field. change in SEC. You look right now. This is the golden age. I mean, it is yeah. like an ensemble cast of greatness with Mike Leach, Coach O, Lane yeah. Kiffin, Mike Leach. Um, <laughs> you know the Auburn guy. I haven't seen. He hasn't been weird enough for me. Although the, there were some weird stories in the offseason. Obviously, he was a guy that got COVID and wasn't vaccinated at the time, and, and so that was a whole story. But he hasn't been as weird as I hoped. You know, Gus Malzahn was was one of those guys in that conversation last year. Uh, but Nick Saban being kind of the the godfather of the the league, and, and Kirby Smart being the the dominant but perceived as weird by opponents because of his bowl cut and, and country accent. Um, the, it's just such a great cast of coaches in the SEC. It's perfect. It's They're a perfect well, representation you know of, of SEC football right now. And, and that is perfect, right? Because there's something about the SEC where we're Oh, I left Smart, out Dan Mullen. Obviously, a, well, uh, yeah, Dan Mullen. But Kirby Smart, obviously a right. smart guy. Obviously has turned Georgia into a – rock solid program where they can be the number one team in the country with a walk on quarterback, but walks out to the field with a terrible haircut and a visor that just, and look, maybe, maybe it's strategy. People are going to underestimate him with, with that look, but Ed O's voice, Dan Mullen, everything you know, about posing him with the, the, yeah, the posing with the shark. I, I don't that even know. That wasn't Dan Mullen. That was, that was, that was, uh, McIlwain, but uh, Dan Mullen's claim to okay. fame was wearing a Darth Vader helmet in a press conference last year. That okay. was a real thing. Okay, and, and and Mike Leach, right? I mean, you you could do a top ten list of Mike. You do a Leach top thousand list of Mike Leach moments. moments. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, you know, Florida fans are starting to want to fire their coach, and Coach O is going to be out of LSU after this year. I'm kind of sad. I'm kind of sad. I like these characters. Coach O dominated Georgia, by the way. We I went to two games. And we lost probably by a combined 100 points in those games. And I, I respected um, LSU and what they are. They just are what they are. Their fans are kind of trashy. And it's great. It's, I, like, no, I don't say that in a negative way. Okay. I think it's great. I love their culture. I love going to Death Valley and seeing all their traditions and getting called things by their fans. It's just part of it. And people take it too seriously. <laughs> well, and, and let's, let's, let's sort of put some brackets around there. That is a that is a Georgia fan talking about LSU fans, and there's nothing better than that, right? I mean, every fan base has right. issues with every other fan base, and that's what makes this all beautiful. Those weren't issues, though. That's that's what people got to understand. I truly admire yeah. it. I truly, if they were all well behaved, buttoned up, 
if that's how how it was in the SEC, it, it just wouldn't be the same product. Uh, having those those true that true hatred and that true nastiness, and having the Tennessee fans throw stuff on the field, like I'm here for it. I'm here as long as no one's getting hurt, and no one's actually you know affected by it. And it's all just gestures. I'm all for it. Well, and and you know, I think it's something that people get upset about, but the reality is it's everywhere. And 99% of the time, or 90%, maybe it's 90% of the time, it's good natured. Like, at Illinois, you know, they would refer to Iowa as, Iowa stood for idiots out walking around, and they would translate Illinois to something about Illinoising or something, you know, who cares, it's Iowa fans. But but that's kind of the point, right? That it's, every one of these rivalries, it's kind of amazing given how much passion there is that there isn't more trouble in parking lots before and after games, which I think says something about how positive so much of it's this playful. is. Even if it I think it's, it's kind of fake. Like it's, we all kind of agree yeah. to pretend to hate each other for a day, but it was really fun being on spike squad at Georgia, being one of the people painted up with the shoulder pads and doing like, for example, a neutral site game against Florida and Georgia getting destroyed and walking out of that stadium, being the last Georgia fan there, <laughs> surrounded by Florida fans, just dogging you, heckling you. And it's just part of it. It's like, if you can't take that, like you should probably pick something else to be a fan of. Uh, but college, oh, that, that must've been a beautiful thing. Walking out there in full face paint after a drubbing, after a drubbing and, and getting shown on TV as and getting memed and getting, I, we used to look up tweets of ourselves. Uh, people would, would say really mean stuff about us on the internet and we got a kick out of it. We thought it was hilarious. So, um, you know, it's, it, to me, it's like with the sec football, that's part of it. It's all in good fun to me in, in sec football for the most part, every now and then there's something that crosses the line and, and that's a different story. Uh, but as long, like I said, as long as it's gestures and not actual harm being done, like it's part of it. That's a, that's sec football. They can try to clean it up well, all they want, but th- there's no way to control a, you know, Nayland Stadium with a hundred thousand people angry at the refs and the opposing coach who, who pretty much burned their program to the ground years back when he was their head coach. Well, that brings to mind, we're running a, we're in a little short of time out here, and I do want to say something about baseball. Mm-hmm. My favorite moment of the NFL was Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Scoring a touchdown, and it just you know popped in my head as, you're t- as we're talking about the fandom in the SEC. Bears, fat Bears, Packers. That's a great rivalry right. going back one of the best forever. Yep. That you know, screaming at the crowd in his, his post conference, his post game press conference was great. That there was a woman giving him the double bird, and he just started yelling. I own you or something along those lines. Yeah, I think he said like I still own I still own the Bears. My I, I come from Chicago people. Bears fans hate Aaron Rodgers, but it is that special kind of hate that how could you not laugh at him telling him that he still owns them? I love it. I love that about sports and I, I don't think non sports people people that didn't grow up in, in sports culture understand it quite as much. But I when I was a player uh, when I played basketball and we would play and, and I remember one school in particular and their environment was crazy. We would play them before their homecoming or before one of their dances every year. And, and the, it was this whole scene. There was actual pageantry for high school basketball um, or middle school basketball, whatever age it was. And I loved getting yelled at and, and getting booed and all that. It was fun, man. It's just part of like, it makes it meaningful. And I, I think that's, how everyone feels. I think that's why I get a little more excited for the big rivalry games with the team that I really hate, the team I really don't want to lose to because I know that's coming and I know that's part of it. But you see the players and even when, when I'm in games in Sanford Stadium, the opposing players, when they run out and crowd boos every time and they, you know, they're gesturing toward the crowd to keep it coming and, and there's players interacting with the crowd in those ways. It's all part of it. It's part of the experience. It's for the players and for the fans. And I'm all for it, like I said. Anyway, beautiful stories in SEC football this week. Coach O, obviously, maybe not a beautiful story. Uh, Who knows what gets uncovered with him now that everything's getting dug up on every coach. I would imagine there's probably some dirt somewhere um, that, that that may justify his firing 
a little bit more. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Don't want to say anything that doesn't age well. Okay. You know, I feel like we've stumbled in, stumbled onto the title for the episode, and I think it's something like the beauty of the ugly fan. Mm. You know, going from Trey Young to the Chicago Bears end zone to all things SEC. Now, last topic I want to hit on is baseball. We are in the middle of the league championship series, and it's uh, the Red Sox versus the Astros. I think that series is 1-1, and we've got the Braves up on the Dodgers 2-0. How much is Major League Baseball hoping for, or how much is Major League Baseball hoping against a Dodgers-Astros rematch from 2017? Uh, I think it's great, personally. I'm a little bit more prone to tune into that one because of the history, because of the cheat. There's a very clear good guy and bad guy. There's revenge. There's everything you want in the storylines but there's also it just kind of brings to light again a negative story for baseball which they've been plagued with for my entire life going back to steroids with mark mcguire and just about every big hitter when when i was a kid and so uh, maybe the mlb wants to move away from that but like i said i'm more prone to tune in and, and pull for the dodgers for kershaw to get that championship he should have had previously um to to, sh- to stick it to the Astros. So we'll see. I know you and I both know a lot of Braves fans that are hoping that doesn't happen. Well, yeah, the Braves, the Braves look good. The Braves are, to me, the Braves are one of these fairly classy fan. I think most baseball fan bases are pretty yep. classy at this point. They're almost the, it's not SEC football. <laughs> it's not SEC football. They're, they tend to be calm, sort yeah. of, sort of wholesome. I mean, it's, look, it's a great story for this city. I mean, the, the city is a little bit on an upswing, right, with the Hawks playoff run. Everything the, the but Braves. the Falcons, pretty much. Yeah, and and look, I tend to think, I don't know if you really put Georgia football with Atlanta, but if you live in this area, this is, I, I would not be surprised. I'm mean, like sort of doing a quick, you know, thinking process going through some cities. I bet you that Georgia football is the closest big time football program in terms of being associated with a major metropolitan area, Mm -hmm. because Georgia does dominate this area. If you Mm -hmm. drive around in the city, you see a lot of, you know, red, black and white G's on the back of trucks and cars. It's, Mm -hmm. it it is almost, uh, you know, Athens is what's Athens about 40 40 minutes out, an hour out, an hour out before you hit Atlanta traffic, (laughs) but it's really part of the Atlanta sports scene. Yeah. I think University of Georgia might have the the biggest fan base of all the Atlanta sports teams, um, with maybe the Braves competing there. I don't know. The Braves the Braves have a lot of fans, but the passion it, the passion is I so think it really passion is I, I so strong really, in Atlanta for for the. Georgia it really Bulldogs. depends on how you count. I think yeah. I suspect that you know because I've had some discussions with people over the years, and that if you count in certain ways, the the Falcons have the largest fan base. But I think you're right. If you're talking about sort of really intense, passionate fans, I bet you there is there are more Georgia Bulldog fans in the city than there are really intense Atlanta Falcon fans. Now that being said, it's almost a little bit of a, it almost ends up being a little bit of a problem in terms of Atlanta sports dynamics in that it's the major leagues this, feel like minor leagues to to a lot of people. Well, and, and it also I think feels a little bit almost you know, like a club that you can't really join, right? Because if you didn't go to, if you didn't go to UGA, you just moved to this city. Pull for the it's kind of hard to become a UGA fan. Yeah, for sure. That's, I've had that experience moving to different places. And even when it's not a college team, it's, it's difficult to feel the passion for a team that you've had no life experiences with growing up and just the, out of the blue, become a fan of that team. So we'll see. But I, I do think with Braves fans and Atlanta sports fans as a whole, they've, They've seen so many disappointments in these kinds of games. Obviously, the Super Bowl with the Falcons blowing the 28-3 lead against the Patriots being probably the most recent huge letdown in in, uh, Atlanta sports. And so having a 2-0 lead on the defending champ Dodgers, I think has a lot of Atlanta sports fans. And we've talked 
about the Atlanta sports curse in the past, but Georgia being number one, Atlanta being in that position, uh, the Braves, you know, I think a lot of people are, are kind of sitting there saying, okay, what's going to go wrong? When's it going to happen? Yeah. When's it going to, they're the most scared fan base or, or group of fans in all of sports. I haven't lived here that long. And just as you started to say that out loud, I can almost imagine people saying, shh, stop it. Yeah. Don't jinx this. No, they do all the time. Even Georgia fans are like, don't say something good about Georgia on the internet. You're going to jinx it. Um, that's, that's how they think you're costing the team a, a championship. If you say that we're the best team by a mile or something like that, you know, when people are just tweeting out their thoughts. And so it's a real cautious fan base. Who's going to be shocked if they ever, you know, actually get what they've been rooting for this whole time. So uh, interesting thing to keep an eye on. I I'm really intrigued by that Dodgers brave series. Yeah. It, it's going to be a fun one. And you know, baseball's got, They've got a little bit of an opportunity here, right? Because you you look at these, you look at the teams that are playing. I mean, there's there's potentially some nice narratives to work with. Now, can Major League Baseball get that story out? Get enough media attention? The, you know, you got some big markets in L.A., Boston. Who we even though Boston is about the same size as Atlanta, it seems like a bigger market just because of the um, history. It's such a sports town because of the history. Yep. Houston's a relatively big city as well, so you got big markets. You got potentially this revenge matchup. Um, always nice to get some you know championships or playoff contention in the Southeast, the growing area. So it, it sets up pretty well for Major League Baseball. Yeah, absolutely. So just like that, Major League Baseball is looking to become the storyline in sports for the world series if for a if, week if things play out if things play out in, in the league's favor we'll, we'll we'll see what happens but but as usual right i mean the, the challenge for major league baseball is that they're and i look i don't think it used to be this way that when they take center stage it's also the time when lebron starts to play basketball and it's also the middle of the season when maybe college football playoff rankings start coming out, yeah. right? And you know, and, and teams start jockeying for the NFL playoffs. So yeah, NFL playoff picture starts to take shape and, and get real competitive. Um, that's just horrible timing. That's horrible timing for a league. No <laughs> other league has to deal with that much traffic in, in their championship season in their championship time of year. Yeah, but for the rest of us, it's probably about the best time of oh, yeah. year for sports because, look, I especially, and I don't know, what are we about two weeks away or a week away from the the college football playoff rankings? No, when those release, yeah. um, I mean, got to be if it's not, it's it's got to be relatively soon, probably about you know game seven or so. So, again, enormous fun on the way. Okay, Doug, we are at about 59 minutes, so any last comments? Anything you're looking forward to this week? Well, I'll look back real quick. Last comment. I know we concluded last week's episode with you asking me my thoughts on Georgia-Kentucky, and I pr essentially said teams like Kentucky just don't have the horses to compete no matter how well-coached they are, no matter how good of football teams they are, how much chemistry they have or whatnot. Uh, we saw that play out exactly with Georgia, to me, the big story in college football that isn't getting enough credit is um, the Cincinnati team that took Georgia down to the wire, led Georgia for much of the game last year in their bowl game, having the opportunity to make the playoff, potentially get a rematch with Georgia, potentially get to take on uh, a blue blood like Oklahoma or Alabama or Ohio State or even Michigan. And so I, I'm really curious to, to keep an eye on Cincinnati. We looked at their schedule last week, and it's not particularly hard. I'm looking at it now. Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, South Florida, SMU, and East Carolina win those games, win a conference championship, you're in the playoff. Uh, that's how it looks at the moment. College football playoff rankings haven't come out, but they're number two in the AP poll. So Cincinnati is a team that I'm very intrigued by um, as a college football fan, obviously as a Georgia fan, uh, bye week, and then Florida coming up in a couple weeks should be an opportunity to put that program in a coffin for the time being. And honestly, the the biggest story for me now is like, who's next? What coaches are we going to dig up dirt on next? We've in recent weeks had Urban Meyer, Roger Goodell, more recently Coach O at Orgeron after two years removed from a 15-0 season is being fired. Who's next? It seems like these coaches are under a microscope now uh, in, in this day and age at this point in time. I know Raiders quarterback Derek Carr recently came out and said he thinks all their emails should be reviewed. 
Um, which, Did he say that? Yeah. A- Derek Derek <laughs> Carr came out. Yeah. And so, yeah, everyone's on the hot seat until, regardless of the record at this point in time. I won't be surprised to see half the NFL coaches get fired. I'm not predicting that, but like I said, nothing would surprise me. Well, I can't resist the little tongue-in-cheek jab that say what you want about these coaches. It appears that Urban Meyer did find a way to motivate the Jaguars. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, and look, this is, the, the, this, is, this is football. This is a different kind of culture. It, it, it's a, it, in some ways, you know, we can celebrate when it's beautiful on the field, and we can celebrate when it's a glorious mess in the news. So let's... Uh, sort of wrap up from there as always guys there's more content on www.fandomanalytics.com until next week thanks for listening